Hey, what's going on, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls? It is Friday, February 23rd, 2024. And I'm your host, as always, The Pody. This is episode 235 of This Week in Sports. I'm excited for today's episode. Should be a nice, brisk, clean, squeaky clean episode. Last two have been over an hour plus. This one I don't see going nearly that long. I have some nice, short, easy audio clips to break up the time. Things are going to go smoothly. Uh, We had NBA All-Star Weekend, so there wasn't too much in terms of NBA games going on. We just had Saturday and Sunday with All-Star, all Friday too, with the Celebrity Game and the Rising Stars Challenge and all that, which I don't really care for. I don't even know who won the Rising Stars Challenge. Um, And then the Celebrity Game I actually didn't watch. Usually that's fun, but I just didn't watch that on Friday night. So um, let's just jump right in. I don't really have any house cleaning or any anything from last week. Uh, spring training's underway. We had our first game last night. I know the Padres played somebody. I don't know if it was the Dodgers or what. Um, but yeah, anyway, we'll jump right in. We'll talk about something I didn't talk about last week with the jerseys, the disgrace that is the Nike and Fanatics partnership with these baseball jerseys. We'll get to that a little bit later, but let's jump right in, get the show on the road. Okay, Saturday night was a fun night, always is for NBA All-Star Weekend. If we didn't, if we just did that and we're done with it, didn't have an All-Star game, I'd be satisfied. So first off, Team Indiana won the skills competition. Um, we had we had this last year too. I don't know if it was in Atlanta or wherever it was, but that team won it as well. Um, I think that was the first time they incorporated it. Um, or was it Minnesota? I don't know. One of the, yeah, it might have been Minnesota actually. But anyway, Team Indiana won. You had Team Indiana versus, um, which was actually uh, Miles Turner. It was um, Halliburton. And who's the third guy I'm missing on, on Indiana? Anyway, that'll come to me. But it was them versus three number one players, which was. Um, Paolo Banquero, Wembenyama, and one other number one player. Uh, was it Kate Cunningham? Somebody. Any, anyway, uh, it's not important. But um, what is important is the fact that Team Indiana won, and they do, uh, you know, the dribbling around the cones and the layups, and then you have to make the shots, and then they do the the passes, and then they do the shooting, and uh, then they do the half-court shot. And it was Team Indiana that won that, like I said. And um, I, I think they get a boost because you're in the host city, right? So the second time we've done this now, and both host city teams have won. And, and so I think, oh, it was Benedict Matherin was the third guy yeah, there, actually, yeah, with Miles um, Turner that were on that team. So... Told you it would come to me. I I looked it up. Anyway, they win the skills competition. Um, I believe that 
Halliburton was the one that sunk the half court shot, which was like the tiebreaker. And, um, well, not, yeah, tiebreaker, if you will. That was like the, the competition, the last comp to win it all. And, uh, the team before them, I think it was the number one, I, whichever team it was, they, you knew they weren't winning because it took them like 50 seconds to hit that, that three, uh, that full court, half court shot. And then Halliburton, they started running out of time, but with like 20 seconds to go, Halliburton sank it and they won it there. So that was pretty cool. Okay. Then we had my favorite competition, excuse me, my favorite competition, the three point shootout, three point, uh, what is it? The Mountain Dew, uh, three point shootout, three point contest. And, uh, or no, the starry, it was the starry three point challenge. And. If you remember correctly, I predicted who I thought was going to win. I threw some money down, actually, on a couple of guys, Kat and Lowry Markinen. I liked both of their odds where they were positioned at plus 700. Disrespect to Kat. He won this comp before, so plus 700 was a no-brainer at that value. Could have gone like 100 bucks on Dame at like plus 450, but I don't have I don't have it in me to do that. In hindsight, that would have been the move. Would have won a cool three fifty. Uh, but instead, I I put ten bucks on each of those two guys I just mentioned. Cat had a perfectly great first round, advanced because he tied for the lead with twenty six. My man Markinen started off real slow and then made like nine straight or something, and he finished just short at twenty five. So he got eliminated. So I was left with only Cat. And of course, you add it was Halliburton. You add Dame. You had Cat in, and they had to go to a tiebreaker because there was four of them, and it was uh, Trey Young. So Trey Young got eliminated. Now, Cat should have won this tiebreaking round and I think shot third, but my man is like seven feet tall, and he had his toe on the line for at least two points. So they, they wiped two points off the board. And then in the final round, he finished with 24. He still would have lost, but... Another two points deducted because he had his toes on the line. So I think that if he didn't have to go first, now granted the year he won, he went first in the final round, which is a point that he made. It's less pressure. You you know you set you're setting the bar, but at the same time, you always want to know you go, you always want to go last. Like he was just saying that. Whatever. Uh, Dame goes last, and it's coming down to the wire between um, I think it was Halliburton and. Uh, um, Dame at this point. Anyway, it comes down to the end. Damian Lillard literally needed to make his final shot to win, and he did. So Damian Lillard is your repeat three-point champion, okay? And I haven't had anything to eat yet, so if I'm all over the place and I butchered that and got that wrong as to who was in the finals, I'm sorry because I know it was Cat and Lillard. I think it was Halliburton, though. Anyway, let's move on. Um, that was a little bit disappointing because, you know, you don't want to see Dame win again, but it is what it is. And then we had the uh, Steph Curry, Sabrina Ionescu uh, little competition that they introduced, the crossover WNBA, NBA three-point competition, the two best shooters in their leagues respectively and Sabrina went first she made uh she finished with a score of 26 it just ridiculous um 
But if you don't know, Sabrina last year set a record. She missed her first shot to start off the three-point competition for the WNBA three-point competition, and then she didn't miss another shot the rest of the competition. It was a total, she blitzed it. Uh, so she goes first, she gets a 26, and then Steph goes, and he promptly beats her with a 29. So, But it was it was fun. They were both cheering each other on. It was a little weird that Steph was like really cheering her on when she was going, and I'm like, dude, not for nothing, this is supposed to be a competition. I want to see the fire in your eyes. Uh, him smiling and just in amazement of, as she was making shots was pretty cool, but um, it was fun. It was fun, and I think they'll bring it back, and thankfully Steph Curry uh, beat her because I don't think he would have been able to to uh, live that one down if he lost to a woman in a three-point contest. Uh, like, let me rephrase that. Um, anybody else losing to Sabrina Ionescu, totally give her props. But the fact that it's Steph Curry, the greatest shooter of all time, my point was last week he cannot lose to her if he wants to be called the GOAT. And, of course, he didn't. It was barely a sweat. Um, he would have beaten everyone in the in the men's competition because the highest score was 26. He got 29. So, uh, yeah, that was fun. Then we had the, of course, slam dunk competition, which has been watered down over the years because it's almost like how many new dunks can we introduce? How many new dunks can we see? And they were really watering it down this year because they added – some guys into this competition that didn't, in my opinion, belong in this competition. Jaime Jaquez, um, you know, Jalen Brown, I didn't think belonged belonged in this competition either. Uh, it, it was just, it, it was weird. And then uh, it ended up coming down to Jalen Brown and Mac McClung, who, by the way, was last year's winner, right? And then the other one was Jacob Toppin. Like, I thought that was weird that he was in it. Of course, his brother... Obi Toppin won this competition um, a few years back when he was a member of the Knicks. Okay, whatever. He he didn't do much. Came down to Jalen Brown. You know, these old retired NBA like legends that were voting on this thing were, were not good. They were terrible. And they didn't give Mac McClung a 50 on the one dunk that definitely deserved it. It's like first dunk. But in the end, he gets the only... Uh, 50 across the board um, from every judge on the final dunk, and he comes away with his second uh, dunk contest win. And for somebody that plays in the G League, this is how he's making his money because it doesn't look like he's going to make it to the NBA. He's not an NBA player. It's his second straight year where he hasn't made it up to the NBA yet. And, um, you know, Give him props because he can fly. It's unbelievable some of the stuff that he was doing with those dunks. Uh, the All-Star game on Sunday night was absolutely awful. I watched a little of the first quarter, could not get into it, had to turn it off. I texted my brother beforehand a little bit. He sent me a screenshot that he bet money on Steph Curry to win All-Star game MVP. And I said the odds are good, but I just believed that the East was going to win. The fact that Damian Lillard is on the East now, another year of Tyrese Halliburton, him uh, in his home stadium, you know, his home arena rather in Indiana there. I just thought that 
it was screaming that the East would win. Because before they went to this previous format with the captains and Team LeBron, LeBron versus Team Giannis or whatever, um, I believe even before that, the West was dominating this thing. So I knew it was time for the East to step it up and get the win. And I told my brother that even before the game started. And of course, that's what happened. The East won this. They led pretty much the whole game. Um, some some uh, note noteworthy mentions here. Carl Anthony Towns, he scored a game-high 50 points. Uh, he was like 4 of 13 from 3, but he finished 25 of 35 or 24 of 34, which is ridiculous. And Damian Lillard added 39, and he was your all-star game MVP. He got a lot of boos because everyone wanted Tyrese Halliburton to win MVP in his home, in his you know, on his home court. And he had like 32. But uh, yeah, Damian Lillard wins both three-point competition and the all-star game MVP. So pretty good for him. The final score, by the way, 211 to 186. That's the most points ever in an all-star game and the first time a team has gone over 200 points. And this is going in a game in which you had the likes of Larry Bird and others expecting and, and pleading with these guys to play tough, hard-nosed basketball, play defense, and it was the exact opposite. We also had um, Luka Doncic try to throw one off the backboard and dunk it. Um, and he barely got off the ground and got stuffed by the rim. So this, I'm just over the all-star game. They got to change up the format, do something to make it more competitive because these guys just were not trying. Damian Lillard is just dribbling up and, and shooting half-court threes, which he made, by the way, but just awful. And I'm not the only one that thinks it was awful. Here's Stephen A's take. What transpired last night was an absolute travesty. Nearly 400 points were scored. No defense, no effort whatsoever. This is the ultimate indictment against the NBA stars who show up on NBA All-Star Weekend. You play harder in the summer league when you're training. If you want to show such a flagrant disregard for the fans, for the audience, knowing that the product that you're putting out there is trash from the All-Stars, I'm talking about superstars on the court together, all right, going up against one another, and you don't care to compete? Why should we watch? He's absolutely right, and it just goes it's back to the fact everything that I just alluded to previously. So I'm not gonna harp on that, but all right. Next up, we can move on from the NBA. NBA came back on last night finally. It seemed like forever uh since the NBA. So I'll get a little I'll get to a little more of that later. But in other news, Texas, this came out I think Sunday. Uh, University of Texas is giving Steve Sarkeesian one hell of a raise. Sarkeesian, who was paid a base salary of five point six million dollars last last year in 2023 and was set to earn about 5.8 million this year. He's going to see a salary jump to $10.3 million. Oh my God. I guess that's what, uh, taking your team all the way to the national championship will get you. Uh, it, that's a big time raise. That's double, literally almost double. Uh, and he will get a $100,000 annual raise in each year of the deal, which runs through the 2030 season. His new contract guarantees him $74.2 million over the remaining seven years of the deal. Just going to put this out there. 
these big time contracts with these with these coaches never pan out and they always end up having to fire the coach and pay him to do nothing while they hire someone else. It's just crazy. But uh, the school will also make a special one-time payment of 300000 to Sarkeesian on or before April 1st. The annual performance incentives he can earn also make a significant jump from a maximum of $825,000 annually to a maximum of $1.825 million annually. He would receive a $250,000 bonus for leading the team to the first round of the new 12-team college football playoff. More on that later. 5 plus 7 format. $500,000 for a quarterfinal appearance. $750,000 for a semifinal appearance, $1 million for a title game appearance, and $1.25 million for winning it all. Uh, the playoff bonuses are not cumulative, by the way, and I also read that they are expecting to uh, sign extensions um, for all of their major coordinators, too. Um, including offense coordinator Kyle Flood, their defense coordinator, and special teams coordinator as well. So yeah, again, they had an unbelievable season. They had a top-ranked offense, and they were runners-up in the national championship. So actually, no, they weren't. What am I saying? They made the college football playoff. They lost to Washington in... Uh, did that game go to overtime? That was the game that I that I fell asleep for. I uh, could not watch the end of it, but the first half was bonkers. It came either. No, I don't think it went to overtime. It came down to the wire, though, and Washington almost blew it. But Steve Sarkeesian, he's done a good job since he's since he's taken over at Texas. Quinn Ewers coming back. Uh, four out of five of their offensive linemen are coming back again. They had a top rated offense. They've, they, they, you know, they're always in the news because Arch Manning goes there. You know, they're doing it right so far. Okay, on Saturday night, uh, Ilya Tapuria, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right. I'm not a UFC guy, really. He beat Alexander Volkanovsky uh, at UFC 298 to claim the featherweight belt. If you guys watch that, you know what I'm talking about. Um, okay, uh, Ohio State basketball, they fired their head coach, Chris Holtman. So, you know, naturally, whenever you fire a coach, you get a little bit of a boost. They went out and beat number two Purdue 73 to 69. Um, that put them at like 15 and 11, unless they go on some sort of crazy run, their season's going to end. Probably they'll make the NIT if they if they elect to go or not. But uh, they would need a sizable little run here at the end because there's not too many games left. And then, of course, they lost last night to Minnesota by nine points, I believe. So, you know, they're uh, they're probably not going anywhere, but still it's a nice little win against Purdue, um, which wasn't great for my Rutgers Scarlet Knights because we had to play Purdue last night coming off of that loss, and we got absolutely blitzed by 30. It was not – the last two Rutgers games have been awful. I'm over this year. Get me to next year when we have a top recruiting class and two of the top five players in the nation, um, and Ace Bailey and um, Dylan Harper, I that I can't wait for. This, I'm, I'm kind of over. All right. Uh, let's talk a little golf. Genesis Invitational. I don't know if I mentioned this at the end of last week's episode. I mentioned that uh, Tiger withdrew due to illness. That was the only thing that I had heard up to that point because it, it had kind of just happened. But this was an absolutely insane tournament. 
we we had just craziness all over. And starting with the winner, Hideki Matsuyama, you know, former Masters champ, came out of nowhere, shoots a 62, starts the day six shots back on Sunday, but a final round 62. He wins his ninth career PGA Tour victory. He had six birdies. He carded six birdies on the back nine to cap off a stunning come from behind win. He won by three and he was six back to start the day. I think we had five guys at one point tied for the lead. Just insanity. Of course, like I said, Tiger ended up leaving in an ambulance with influenza or the flu. Jordan Spieth, this was what I don't think I talked about because it happened from what I found out after I published last week's episode, but Jordan Spieth got disqualified for signing an incorrect scorecard. I think he put down that he got a par and it was actually a bogey, which he was he was unaware of, which these are the dumbest rules in golf. He is one of the most upstanding guys in the game, people ha- have said, and uh, this was not something where he was trying to pull one over. I mean, there's cameras everywhere. It's just, I guess he might have been docked a penalty stroke that he was unaware of. So he marked it as a a four or a five. It might have been a par five when it should have been a six. And why can't the officials just tell him after the hole or when he's going to sign his scorecard or why can't there be some review of his scorecard? They make the correction and then he signs it. I mean, I just don't understand in this day and age, you're going to just DQ one of the best players in the world and one of the biggest draws in the sport in Jordan Spieth because he didn't know that he got a bogey instead of a par. It's just unbelievable. So um, it's unfortunate, but, you know, again, congrats to Matsuyama on the win. All right, let's get to Sunday night's game. Uh, St. John's, Seton Hall. St. John's loses this one. It was close to out, but they end up losing this one. And Rick Pitino goes on one of those rants for the ages after this loss. Take a listen. This is a fun one. This isn't even the whole thing, but. If you had to do it over again, would you have attacked your first offseason differently? I had no choice. We just could take who we could get, who was available. We had no choice. Um, I don't think we were going to win the first year anyway, because when you rush like that and you don't see the players and you just, uh, not not a whole lot we can do, but it's um I think I've enjoyed, even even the Celtics when we lost, I've enjoyed every minute being the Boston Celtic coach. Didn't like the fact that we lost in that following year, but this has been the most unenjoyable experience I've had since I've been coaching. you have any second thoughts of taking this job? No, not at all. It's not St. John's. It's my team. Look, I'm disappointed. I don't want to say the wrong things, but I'm really disappointed in my team. He doesn't want to say the wrong things, but he said all the wrong things. He went on talking about the facilities are crap. He was talking about how his players can't move laterally. They they have no lateral movement. Oh, he was just going off naming different players and whatnot. And uh, not a good look. They recently played the other night. They won. He, he apologized, essentially said... Um, we had like the greatest practice of the year and then they went out and won the next game, blah, blah, blah. Um, from what I read online today, you know, St. He, he, Patino was also saying something like they didn't have much say in the players they brought in. They just had to take what was there in, in the, uh, in the transfer portal. They kind of rushed things. I'm reading that there's some billionaire donor from St. John's that, basically is going to come in here next year 
and Rick Pitino is going to have his pick of the litter, who he wants coming out of the transfer portal. So just keep an eye out on St. John's moving moving forward to uh, next season, because despite what you might think in this day and age, you don't want to see that type of behavior from Rick Pitino, but I'm an old school kind of guy. That doesn't bother me. The one thing that I'd take credence with or issue with, and I'd be like, Rick, you might not want to say this, is the whole thing about the crappy facilities and stuff, because you want guys to come in here. You want them to think that you have the best facilities, this, that, and the other thing, so you can get the best players and uh, pull them kind of away from, you know, the Dukes, the Kentuckys, the, the the real blue bloods, the North Carolinas, et cetera, et cetera. So that's the only thing I took issue with that he said, really. Um, but he's a two-time national champ. He's taken, what, three, four teams to the Final Four. Um, he's one of the greatest to do it, and he's going to call his players out when they are not doing what they're supposed to or when they play poorly, and the good ones – We'll take no issue with that. And some of his players, um, whether they did or not, I don't know, but they they said publicly that they had no issue with it. They've moved on. Everything's good, et cetera, et cetera. So all's well in in uh, in Wally world, if you will, in St. John's world, in Red Storm world. There we go. OK. Um, William Byron, not sure really who he is but he's an up-and-comer in the nascar world he won the daytona 500 on tuesday night that's right not monday night because this thing had to be delayed it was delayed a day due to weather 24 hours later uh byron won this uh race was a tale of two big time multi-car crashes which damaged more than 20 cars including some really big names uh, i read brad keselowski was one of those names uh, some other guys as well. But in the end, uh, Byron wins it. He's, an, again, he's a younger, up-and-coming, rising star in the sport. Uh, that's what I read anyway. Okay, the Angels. Let's get to some baseball. The Angels are a mess. We all know they let Otani walk in free agency to not just any team, but their crosstown rival, Dodgers, for free. They got nothing in return for him because they didn't trade him last year. Um, Mike Trout is there. He wants to sort of stay there. Um, he had a quote saying that the easy thing to do would be to leave or to request a trade. So what he's basically saying without saying it is that the hard thing is to stay. So I don't see him staying there. They've never made the playoffs in all the years he's been there. Um, which is shocking because he's been the best player on the planet for a number of years, uh, but we're not here to talk about Mike Trout. We're just here to talk about, we all know the history of the Angels. Uh, Tyler Skaggs, they had a player, you know, he died, he OD'd. I mean, just the crazy uh, different things. Their, their crappy owner, is it Art Moreno? I think so. Anyway, they don't spend a lot of money, yada, yada, yada. Well, let's talk about one guy they did spend a lot of money on, $245 million to be exact, one, Anthony Rendon. He's got a great name. Same name as me, of course, right? But Anthony Rendon is a guy that I just, it puzzles me. I can't, I can't understand how this guy is getting paid this amount of money and he says things like this. So let me preface this. He was one of the worst signings in baseball history. 
Okay, he signed for $245 million right after he helped the Nationals win a World Series. And he was unbelievable that year. All right. Anthony Rendon hasn't played in more than 200 games over the last four years. Again, terrible signing. And this is what Anthony Rendon had to say when talking to the media earlier this week. Is it still a top priority for you? Though? It's never been a top priority for me. This is a job. So I do this to make a living. Uh, my faith, my family come first before this job. So if those things come before it, I'm leaving. Is it a priority? Oh, it's a priority for sure. This is my job. I'm here, aren't I? Do you want to be here? I don't want to talk to you guys at <laughs> 7 in the morning or whatever time it is. So... Do you, I mean, do you want? I mean, do you want to like be here playing baseball? I have baseball? answered your question, so why do you keep thinking at it? Oh, <laughs> yeah, he technically answered it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, if you caught that, he said at the beginning of the quote, "It has never been a priority for me. Baseball is not a priority; it's a job." And then he tries to like walk it back, and he says, "Oh no, it's a priority. I'm here talking to you, aren't I?" And he's like, my faith, my family. Well, yeah, of course, everybody's family comes first before their job. Um, but no fan wants to hear that you're living, that your job, that your career as a baseball player, as a professional athlete, which is a privilege to play, okay, the game of baseball. There's not many of these jobs to go around. It's not like the NFL where there's a lot more jobs, right? We're talking you know, maybe 1,100 of these. It's not a big number in the grand scheme of things. And he doesn't see it as a priority. Well, this is why he was suspended last year for what was it, four games? Because he got into it with a fan. Like he just, you could tell he has no care in the world. He doesn't have that drive to, you know, he won his World Series and now that's it. He's just here because he has a contract to, if you want, you know, to oblige by, if he wants to get paid, and all that good stuff. Well, on the Foul Territory podcast, that's the one with A.J. Pierzynski. Um, Todd Frazier's on that a lot now. And it's um, that's like an MLB network vehicle. Now, they had Jonathan Papelbon, former All-Star closer, World Series winner with the Red Sox, right? He was on this Nationals team with Anthony Rendon. And I thought it was pretty glaring if you hear his remarks and what he had to say about Anthony Rendon with his time playing with him. Now, I actually cut this clip down a bit because uh, Papelbon, um, what he was saying was, as the closer, he was always the last one in the trainer's room. So he always got to see these players going in and out of there. And he could tell, like, okay, this guy's jacked up. He's ready to go. He's going to play good tonight. This guy wants to be here. This guy's fired up. And then he got into talking about Rendon. So here it is. And every single day this guy shows up to go out, it was like a chore. And he strictly got away with just raw athleticism and raw talent. Now, you can do that. But there's a reason why – has he even made an all-star game yet or may, maybe one? I don't know. There's a reason why he's not as successful as he really truly could be because he's got more God-given talent than probably all three of us sitting here talking. But at the end of the day, he don't give a shit. So when, when, when you put those two together, it's a bad recipe for me, man. I'll be honest with you, man. If, if I'm the Angels GM, I'm trying to get rid of this dude as fast as I can. I knew that, like, when he became a free agent, because I think two years after I played with him, I was like, man, whoever gets that dude is going to get totally wamboozled. It's going to be the worst deal in history, and it's proven that way. 
So yeah, there you have it. Uh, that's a guy that played with him, and he he knew. And I've played with guys growing up that were like that too. They put in no effort, no work. They just had that natural ability, that natural talent, and they they could just show up. And maybe they were they were really good because they didn't care. Some of them, so, you know, sometimes that lack of caring mentally, um, you don't get in your head too much. You're not thinking up at the plate, whatever. And you can just go out there and dominate, but that will only get you so far. And well, it's gotten Rendon pretty far, but uh, yeah, that's coming from his teammate. And right there at the end, I think it's hilarious. Papelbon said "wamboozled." The word is "bamboozled," so I don't know where he comes from that he thinks the word that it's "wamboozled." But I just—that's pretty funny if you ask me. So, uh, yeah. All right, um, finally, it finally happened. The Brooklyn Nets, my Brooklyn Nets, fired head coach Jacques Vaughn on Monday, just 54 games into the season, and, yep, a year after he signed an extension. I can't believe they signed him to an extension. But anyway, uh, at 21-33, and 33, he has not been great. But um, you look at this team overall, they've been through a lot of changes. This is not the team that had Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, James Harden. H how is any coach supposed to win when Ben Simmons – uh, has the back of an of a 100 year old because my grandfather is 92 he goes to the gym he 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 dances he does these classes these aerobic workouts he plays golf multiple times a week at the age of 92 and Ben Simmons is like 27 years old and he can't even stand up and walk um it's ridiculous and like it looks like a five-year-old dresses him too when he's sitting out games you could see what he's wearing um on the bench it's just a joke but it's it's very tough to win you got young guys yeah short bridges cam thomas are really good some pieces around them cam johnson etc cetera, etc cetera. nick claxton but all these guys besides really cam thomas mikhail bridges he's so he's been so up and down it seems like he's sort of regressed this year Jacques vaughn continued to play um some veteran guys that I thought maybe he shouldn't play. They had no defense. There's just really no rhythm. They'd go on stretches at a time where they couldn't score. And you just saw the writing on the wall when they got blasted by 50 headed into the All-Star break. They lost back-to-back -back games to Boston and that latter one being by 50. So it's no shock there that he's out. Uh, it was his second stint as interim head coach, by the way. Um, he took over in November of 2022. And then... Um, because first he took over in the bubble when Kenny Atkinson was fired. He was interim coach there. Then he stayed on when Steve Nash was hired. Then took over when Steve Nash was fired. And then they made him the permanent head coach. Um, again, it was tough. He endured both the trades of Durant, Kyrie Irving. And it was only a matter of time. But uh, right now, um, Kevin Ollie is replacing him as interim head coach for the Brooklyn Nets. I assumed as much would happen. Kevin Ollie... Uh, former UConn National Championship head coach. Before he arrived in Brooklyn, this being his first season as an assistant, he coached overtime elite for uh, two years from 2021 to 2023. And again, he served as head coach of UConn from 2012 to 2018, and he led them to that national championship in 2014. That Was that the Shabazz Napier year? Might have been. It might have been. So we'll see from here. That gave them no boost 
Uh, I talked about Ohio State getting a boost when they fired their head coach. The Nets got zero boost. They lost to the Raptors last night. The Raptors. So this is just a sinking ship, and I'm done with this season. They're not even going to get into the play-in. Joke. Okay, finally, uh, they charged two people in the parade shooting in uh, the, the Super Bowl shooting. Okay, they wouldn't. They didn't release names. They didn't release mugshots for what seemed like a while. But Jackson County prosecutors charged two Missouri men with murder in connection to the Super Bowl parade last week. According to a news release, Dominic Miller and Lindell Mays faced charges of murder in the second degree, among other charges. Now, here's what's weird. Early reports indicated, and I told you guys last week, that both of these suspects were juveniles and it was like, okay, well that's why they can't release their names because they're minors. But that was not the case. Uh, one of these men was 23. Another one was 18, both adults. So I don't see what took them so long. And there's a lot of speculation online that I'm seeing as well that it's saying all these mass shootings, um, they always tell you right away when it's a white male that does these sh that does this shooting, whether it's at a school or something else. And they said that because they were not white men, that's why they didn't release the names. And you could tell that people were saying, oh, well, we know it's not a white man or white men that shot up the Super Bowl parade because they would have told us immediately because of this media narrative, et cetera, et cetera. So interesting little conspiracy there. Um, the, the mayor of of um of the city uh of Kansas City was was like basically it was a weird statement i wish i had the audio but he was like defending them he was saying that we shouldn't be calling them thugs and it's like somebody died of course they're thugs that's literally what they are uh so you know again i don't know what sparked this but it's just disgusting a disgusting despicable act of violence and it should never occur and it's sad that somebody lost their lives and a bunch of children were shot. Okay, the college football playoff will officially adopt the 5 plus 7 format. This was supposed to be the 6 plus 6 format, but there's no Pac-12 anymore. So it's the 5 plus 7. Uh, five bids to the five highest ranked conference champions. And then the other seven are going to be at-large bids. So this is going to be fun. And already... They're talking about expanding it even further beyond 12. So the title game, of course, because we have more playoff games now, the title game will now be slotted in around January 20th, which is nearly two weeks from the date range we've become accustomed to. So just something to keep in mind. I'm excited for this because it gives more teams a chance and it gets us closer to the best tournament in the world, March Madness, with 64 teams. I'd love to get to that. Just, just do away with bowl games and go straight March Madness style. All right. I alluded to this at the top of the show. Major League Baseball Players Association wants a uniform change. I did not touch on this last week, but it has become a major issue. It's all over my feeds. It's all over TikTok. People are showing, like, there's pictures of these players. that First, first it started off that they didn't like the jerseys. The jerseys, they look pressed on. The patches, everything looks terrible. The stitching, the logos, it just doesn't look It doesn't look authentic. It looks cheap, and they're not cheap. And this Nike Fanatics you know, partnership, it's just not working. Everything looks terrible, and it got worse because 
media days took place, you've got guys like Shohei Otani, $700 million player, and you could see right through his white pants, and you could see his tucked-in jersey. Other guys, you can see their underwear, you could see the outline of their crotch. Uh, just, it, it's ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. Um, executive director of the Players Association, Tony Clark, said that some teams have uniforms, other teams don't have enough uniforms if you need uh extra pants. They can't get pants. They can't get this. They can't get that. It's ridiculous. He said he's on the phone with requisite parties to see what can be done be done before the season starts. It's a nightmare. It is an absolute nightmare. And I just, I don't get it. Uh, shame on Michael Rubin for sure. He's the guy that owns Fanatics. Uh, hopefully they get it taken care of because you don't want players junk to be showing through their uniforms when kids are at the games or watching on TV. It's just not a good look. Okay, another week and yet again, another Doc Rivers frenzy. So, All-Star Weekend. This He's only been there like three weeks now, by the way. All-Star Weekend. He's on NBA radio, talking to some guys on NBA radio, and he has a staggeringly stupid quote. Listen to this quote. From Doc Rivers. Personally, I, you know, I, I'll be honest. I, I told our owners uh, when they called. I said, I think you, you, I don't understand why you're doing this. You know, um, and they said, you know, one of the things they said was, well, it doesn't matter. We're, we've done it now, and um, we, we we want you. And, and so that was a tough one. I didn't. I, that was. That's where you had the hesitation. Did you catch that? Doc Rivers basically telling. Milwaukee ownership that what are you doing? You don't want to hire me. He basically just said that he told them that they shouldn't hire him. It's unbelievable. So that's just that quote alone is just un, just I I'm speechless on that alone. Well, then we had earlier in the week, JJ Redick, who works for ESPN. Now he has his own podcast and everything. He's actually going to be taking over for Doc Rivers um, on ESPN NBA, you know, finals coverage. And he played for Doc Rivers for what, like four years, four seasons. And he went off on Doc Rivers on, I believe it was first take and had this to say on his former coach. I've seen the trend for years. What's the trend? The trend is always making excuses. Get Doc, we get it. Taking over a team in the middle of the season is hard. It's hard. We get it. Just like getting traded in the middle season is hard for a player. We get it. Mm -hmm. But it's always an excuse. It's always throwing your team under the bus. They lose to Memphis. Oh, it's his players. Memphis was playing G League guys and two-way guys. And then you look at his quotes over the weekend. Now he wants to take credit for the James Harden trade to the Clippers working out. He wants credit for that. There's just no <laughs> – there's never accountability with that guy. That's a guy that played for Doc Rivers calling him out. Wow. Um, Austin Rivers now, who is the son of Doc Rivers, played in the NBA, played at Duke. He works for ESPN as well, and he had to take to his platform to call out J.J. Redick. And not only did he call out J.J. Redick, Patrick Beverly got into it with J.J. Redick on Twitter saying that Doc Rivers saved his career and, you know, when no one else wanted him, which was totally false because J.J. Redick had other offers to sign. He signed like a four-year multi-million dollar deal. So, you know, Patrick Beverly's just trying to um, 
come to the aid or defense of his coach because he was just traded from the Sixers to Milwaukee now. So that's just Patrick Beverly being the troll that Patrick Beverly is. But here was Austin Rivers basically going back at J.J. Redick saying, no, my father does you know, uh, take accountability. Well, uh, I have to chop it. Um, I mean, first off, I don't feel responsible to take off for my dad. He's a grown man. He could do his own thing. Uh, but in this regard, I just simply don't agree with it. Um, for someone who's not accountable, he seems to always be held responsible, considering he's the guy that's always fired when things don't go right. <laughs> he got fired in the bubble uh, for a 3-1 lead versus the Denver Nuggets, which in half his team didn't want to be there. They had players saying that their mind wasn't there. He had guys leave. That happened. Then he gets fired for losing to a team that was favored over him, which was the Celtics last year. Um, it seems like he's always responsible. It's just a strange coming from J.J. And I have some love for J.J. You're my dookie. You know that. You're my bro. I love you. <laughs> um, it's just your best years were with the Clippers. I don't think he saved your career. I appreciate you, Pat. But I don't think it – I mean, I, this just seems a little bit weird. They're, they're three and seven. Dame's missed most of those games. Middleton's missed a lot of those games. They haven't even had their full team yet. We'll see what happens. The pressure is there. They do have to perform. But in terms of accountability, like, what, what are we doing here? Your best years in the NBA were when you played for him in the Clippers. Let's not forget that. And I don't know if there's, like, frustration there or there's tension there between you. I know a lot of times we had to sit you towards the end of the game due to defensive reasons. But you had your best years as a starter there, especially our whole system was drafted around you because you're a shooter. You're not a guy who could put the ball on the floor. You were a strictly shoot guy you're not like clay thompson or steph who could put the ball on the floor you're a guy who could catch and shoot and you did it at a high level hell of a career by the way big fan but your best years were under him it's just very ironic and kind of weird that you have this energy towards him in terms of him never ever being accountable considering he's always been responsible uh that would be my response look this is just simply tough love between our analysts and i love you, you jj watch, thank you i love and you, you want, we still, we still do i just don't see, agree with it that's all yeah. want to see what they do Okay, so a lot of salient points there, well said, well articulated, all good. Um, it is, though, interesting that, I mean, I wouldn't have done it if I'm J.J. Redick. I know he's probably trying to, you know, take the pulse of the fans and just say what all the fans are thinking. And now that he's got this platform, he's on ESPN, whatever, and he's just saying what everyone wants to hear. So I don't know, maybe that's not necessarily, look, a lot of this is just played up for you know, viewership for, for television, uh, to get ratings up, et cetera. So he might say one thing, he might think another thing, but would I have said it, would I have called out doc rivers, a guy that, you know, if it was my former coach, I, I don't think I could do that. Um, so, but again, he's not necessarily wrong. Everything doc rivers has done or said since arriving in Milwaukee has been just wild it has been weird. This latest comment, he told the owners not to hire me, essentially. It's just, I mean, what are we doing? It's wild. So, again, this stuff isn't going anywhere. This Doc Rivers stuff isn't going anywhere. And we'll see as the second half progresses. Like Austin Rivers said, there is pressure on them. Um, but once they are healthy and get everybody playing together, uh, they can make a little run. And they listen, they could be in the finals for all we know. Dame won an all-star game MVP and a three-point contest, so he could be poised for a big-time second half. So we'll see what happens. Okay. Um, let's talk some football uh, real quick, and I want to talk about Justin Fields because a lot has been made of this throughout the week. Justin Fields unfollowed the Bears 
We all know it's coming. All right. The Bears have the number one pick. Justin Fields is likely getting traded. Okay. They're not going to pass up on the number one pick again. They passed up on it last year to trade it to Carolina. They got a haul of picks, including this year's number one. It didn't pan out with Justin Fields last year. They didn't win a whole lot of games. I think the same amount of games as the Jets, which was seven. And they've been mediocre since. And he's, you know, hurt a lot because he's a mobile quarterback, et cetera, et cetera. Well, Justin Fields um, went on the 33rd team podcast. That's the one with Amon Ra St. Brown and Equinemia St. Brown, the St. Brown brothers. And he had this to say on everything, the whole situation with the Bears. Do you want to stay in Chicago or what's up? Yeah, of course. Of course I want to stay. I can't see myself playing in another place, but if it was up to me, I would want to stay in Chicago. I love right. the city. The city's lit. The The fans are, you know, they're great. Mm -hmm. And the people, it's a business. I ain't got no control over it. So whatever right. happens, happens. But I feel like the biggest thing with all this going on right now, I just want it to be over. Like. Just let me know if I'm getting traded. Let me know if I'm staying this and that. Because I like watching film in the offseason. I like watching the offense. You feel me? Seeing what they're going to do a lot and uh, stuff like that. So so not a, not a whole lot there, but he does say he wants to stay in Chicago. Um, But my guess, again, he will not be in Chicago. He will not. Um, My guess a lot of indications are Atlanta because uh, I think he started following like all the young stars on Atlanta, Kyle Pitts, Drake London, uh, Bijan Robinson. So Atlanta makes a lot of sense. Then, of course, you've got Washington. You've got a new coach there. You've got a new coordinator in uh, Cliff Kingsbury. If they can't get the number one pick, do they make the trade for him, right? And then a third option, which came to mind, is Denver. All right, it looks like Denver is going to be out on Russell Wilson. That's almost uh, 100% happening. He put up his Denver mansion for sale, and you, you, we all know Sean Payton did not get along with, with Russell Wilson. It was evident from the time that he got there. They tried to make it work, went on a little run last year, but ultimately missed the playoffs again. So um, I look for Justin Fields to be out of there, and those are my three top destinations again maybe pittsburgh is another one uh are they sold necessarily on kenny pickett probably not uh that's another spot possibly for for russell wilson as well so those three or four teams keep an eye out all right the pittsburgh pirates they signed starting pitcher mitch keller to a five-year extension worth 77 million dollars the timing of this is actually kind of funny because a day before this signing a report came out or an article from The Athletic was published. They published a story about how the Pirates are so cheap. Just they, they went through the whole organization. I read in there one one time they waited. There was a trade going on and they actually waited an extra day to go through with the trade just so they could save and eat $30,000 or so they wouldn't have to eat $30,000. And we're talking a $10 billion, you know, uh, sport and market. So they are, I, I'm sorry, um, Pirates fans, but I don't see you guys ever winning in my lifetime. It, it's bad. It's that bad. Um, in other baseball news, we're almost at the end here. The Mets 
already feeble starting rotation took a huge hit yesterday when it was announced that ace Kodai Senga was going to start the season on the IL. Look, with Verlander gone, with Scherzer gone, Senga is their top dog, and he was great last year, and he might not pitch this year. That's how serious this is. Here is the injury. We barely got to spring training, and he's got shoulder fatigue and arm fatigue. And so here was new Mets GM David Stearns on the injury and what exactly is going on. Can't make so, this up. Um, Senga has a um, moderate right posterior capsule strain. So that's in the, in the back of his right shoulder. He was having uh, trouble recovering um, from his side sessions. Uh, the way he expressed it was, was really shoulder fatigue. And when it happened um, a second time, uh, we decided to, to get an MRI yesterday afternoon. Um, uh, doctor read the MRI this morning, examined Kodai, um, and we have this moderate strain in, in the back of his right shoulder. What this means right now, um, we're going to shut him down until these symptoms uh, uh, subside and strength returns to, to his normal levels. Um, once that happens, we can begin to ramp him up uh, and then go through his, his normal spring training um, progression. Um, uh, we don't expect him ready to be open to be ready for opening day. Um, so at this point, we would expect him to begin the season on the IL. How long exactly? I can't tell you right now. Um, we'll get more information um, on sort of next step treatment options and length of uh, shutdown. And I'm happy to share that for, with you guys um, when we have it. Um, but for now, we don't have it. So yeah, uh, some capsule posterior, blah, blah, blah. I did a lot of research on this, and I and um, a doctor said that they don't expect him to be back until at least June because you could start ramping him up again, and the only thing you could do is rest him. You could start ramping him up again in like two weeks, but then he might start to have this, you know, fatigue again. They said you could in do some injections, some like PRP or plasma injections, um, but it looks like. Sanga is going to be shut down for at least six weeks. He's going to start the season on the IL. The Mets are in shambles. They asked Stearns about if they would think about going out signing a free agent pitcher because Jordan Montgomery and and reigning Cy, Cy Young winner uh, Blake Snell are still on the open market, and they said pretty much no. So I guess they don't think it's too big a deal, but I don't know. If I'm a Mets fan, I do not feel good about this at all. And again, Second year in the majors, these Japanese pitchers, they pitch in Japan. They throw like 180 pitches sometimes per start. It's just unbelievable. And they come here, the ball might be a little bit different. You're throwing every once every five days. And uh, you know, Sanga, I think, was throwing even less last year. Um, so they could get him you know, pitching, I believe, at home more often. But yeah, it's just not a good look. And it doesn't look like he will be back any time soon. All right, shortstop Tim Anderson and the Marlins agreed to a one-year, $5 million deal. Listen, um, Anderson's career has fallen off a cliff. It was just a few years ago that he was one of the best players in baseball. He had the swagger. Um, you know, he would pimp out his home runs and, and whatnot. But injuries have plagued him over the last couple of seasons. And after last season, the White Sox declined his $14 million player option, making him a free agent. So he signs for probably like the veteran minimum 
there with the Marlins, see if he could kind of stay healthy this year and have a bounce-back season for a sneaky good Marlins team that did make the playoffs last year, by the way. Um, speaking of signings, the defending Super Bowl champs, the Chiefs, they agreed to a contract with former Bills punter Matt Ariza. Remember him? He was the the uh, uh, the Ray Guy Award winner, former Ray Guy Award winner from San Diego State, that the Buffalo Bills picked in the twenty in the sixth round of the twenty twenty two NFL Draft. But they later cut him after allegations resurfaced that Ariza and San Diego State teammates had raped a teenager in October of twenty twenty one. There was a very lengthy investigation. Police did not charge him or his teammates. And in fact, I believe Ariza wasn't even at this party. So he lost out on a couple of years of his life where he could have been earning some good money at, and employment and and making a light, you know, a living for himself. So we'll see if he, you know, ends up being the, the Chiefs punter next year, but he's got a cannon for a leg. Uh, so the NBA was back last night, the game's best player. Made some history, did not disappoint. In the Nuggets, 130-110 to victory over the Wizards, Nikola Jokic finished with 21 points, 19 rebounds, and 15 assists while shooting 100% from the field. 10 for 10. Oh, my God. He is the first player in at least 40 years to record 20-plus points, 15-plus rebounds, and 15-plus assists on 100% shooting in a game. Not to mention that by recording a triple-double against the Wizards, Jokic now has a triple-double against every NBA team that he's faced in his career. Only LeBron and Russell Westbrook have accomplished that feat. And last but not least, EA Sports announced that it will offer every college football athlete who opts into its upcoming video game $600 plus a copy of the game. I think that's... Um, a fair deal. Uh, maybe it's too little. Maybe it's too much. Who knows? But um, I know if I was a college football player, it would just be enough for me if I got a free copy of the game, which is probably going to go for 60 or 70 bucks. And to have my name or to have myself in the game is just means the world. Grow up playing a game. It's finally coming back after a 10-year hiatus or 11-year hiatus, and you get to be in it. That's awesome, in my opinion. So that's pretty cool. And I think that's all I've got. Um, all right, let's get to on this day in sports. February 23rd, 1985. Goaltender Patrick Waugh makes his NHL debut for the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, Waugh is widely considered the greatest goaltender in NHL history. In 2004, he was selected as such by about 41 NHL writers and fans. They had a poll um, in 2006, he was inducted into the NHL Hall of Fame. He's the only player in NHL history to win the Conn Smythe Trophy, which is the award given to the most valuable player in the Stanley Cup playoffs three times. The only one to do so in three different decades, 80s, 90s, and 2000s, and the only one to do so for two teams. And Wah is widely credited for popularizing the butterfly style of goaltending, which has since become the dominant style of goaltending around the world. And not too long ago, a couple weeks ago, actually, he was named the head coach of the New York Islanders. That's pretty much all I have. Uh, what's on this weekend? Let me get to that. 
We've got some NBA tonight and throughout the weekend. Again, we've got spring training games going on, uh, but we've got tonight Cleveland at Philadelphia. Uh, that's the Cavs at uh, the Sixers. Uh, that's on 7.30 ESPN. I don't know if the Cavs played last night, but I know the Sixers did, so that's a back-to-back. You might want to bet the the Cavs. Uh, Maxie had 35 in that loss last night. You've got Phoenix at Houston at 8 p.m., Miami at New Orleans at 8 p.m., and then Milwaukee at Minnesota on ESPN at 10 p.m. Of course, Milwaukee's must-watch every, every night now. Got to hear the next quote from Doc Rivers and to see how they play. Um, and that's pretty much it. Um, yeah, that's pretty much all I've got. Um, of course, college basketball on all weekend, right? We're getting closer and closer to March Madness. Uh, it should be a fun, it should be a fun weekend. I'm looking forward to just sitting back, relaxing, um, and, and just catching up on, you know, some Z's catching up on some shows I didn't get to watch any well not that I didn't get to but I didn't watch any of the Patriots documentary on Apple TV plus I said I was going to and I heard it's very good but um I know that I'm going to be annoyed if I watch and all the episodes haven't been released yet so I'm going to get stuck after two episodes and be wanting and waiting for the next episode and it's just going to be annoying so I'll just binge it probably when the whole thing comes out or who knows maybe if there's nothing on this weekend or if I'm bored I will I will uh watch some of it but there's also going to be college softball on all weekend which I will probably tune in if you got ESPN plus that'll be on all weekend um because I'm a college softball guy now and our season's starting up in about three weeks so that's exciting if we can get on back on our field if this weather holds up I'm seeing we might get snow next week but uh who knows uh, okay uh, let's enough of me of me rambling. I said I was going to be under an hour and I cannot believe that I'm over an hour. I'm shocked because I, I never in a million years thought it would run this long. So with that being said, I hope you guys enjoyed episode 235 of this week in sports. I'm the Pody signing off. Enjoy your weekend, everybody. I'll see you next week. <laughs>